Welcome back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and joining me is... Beth! Sam! And Caleb! Great, that was nearly identical to episode one, so it won't actually be clear if I've just copied and pasted it from last time or if we recorded it again. I like it. Nice. Perfect. Why are you saying that for the first episode, Justin? It's weird. It's almost like you're planning on copy-pasting this for all the other episodes. <laughs> My secret has been discovered. <laughs> All right, what a what a dumb what a dumb trick to play that would be. <laughs> you get us to record a whole other episode, but do not <laughs> let us do a fresh yeah. intro. Yeah. Okay, so we're back here. This is our second episode of Mistborn: The Final Empire. Uh, today, this was chapters three, four, and five. Uh, where we start to really get into the the meat of things here. This was a, a larger section than some of the others that we're going to do, certainly a bigger chunk than last time. Uh, and now we really we really get into uh, a couple of the the important things in this book. So just right off the bat, how's everyone feeling about what we got so far? Well, it may have been a bigger chunk, but I did still finish this reading within 24 hours of the last episode ending. So clearly I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm having a good time. Yeah, it's uh it's interesting um the the cuts that we chose in terms of like sections because questions were answered instantly. Yeah, I started <laughs> developing or writing down theories and then like the next chapter I was like, Oh, yeah, I I, I was right, but now I don't get to lord it over anyone. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh it's like Brandon Sanderson custom made it to to have podcast quality. <laughs> I don't know. It's good. I did also try a little bit, um, particularly toward the end, not to put um, episode breaks in the middle of significant scenes, like some chapters that roll right from one to the other. So hopefully we have uh, we have stopping points at places that are, are good for further questions, but not right in the middle of something that you want to just you know read the next page on. It's hard to find those breaks in... in brando sandy's writing yeah to be fair um the mistborn it's not so bad uh i was specking out uh, episode breakdowns for some of the other books just to see what they would look like uh and there's definitely some that are a lot trickier but this one we're into the the thick of things now with last week we just had kind of a, an intro to the world and some of our characters here and now we get a a good handle on uh the plot that's going to happen for the rest of this book. Yeah, both a big ep in terms of page count and content. You get the main plot, you get a, a better look at your cast of characters. Lots of good stuff. All right, let's go ahead and start taking a look then at what we had. Uh, we begin, of course, with another epigraph and the, the mystery writer of our previous story uh, is talking about the lands of Terrace, uh, the mountains in the north, and the people who they've met there. Uh, not a lot of details on that yet, but it's a, a good bit of world exploring and a, a good chance to flip back to the map of the Final Empire and see where they're they're talking about. Terrace dominance. It's got the mountain symbols on it. Those consummate Vs. And they say it's the Great Mountains, so it's it's mountains. Way to use your context clues. 
we come back uh, basically right after, or, or a little bit after the scene as we left in chapter two, Vin's crew or, or Cayman's crew are regrouping, celebrating, enjoying a good time because they think that they've uh, absolutely gotten away with it, come away with, with 3,000 boxings, and uh, they're having a good time. And Vin is not having a good time. She feels like something's wrong, and she's trying to figure out what to do about it. I am waiting for the day where Vin will be having a good time. Um, I don't think it will be within this book. There, I, I'm thinking it's going to be like one scene in the next book where she has a good time, and that's probably going to be it. Put it down in the theories. <laughs> so far, I describe her as consistently uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. T- tag yourself, but that's just anxiety. That's not. <laughs> that's not you know living on the streets. Yeah. So she is uh, decisive. She's going to put a plan into action. Uh, she finds. Uh, one person who th- she thinks that she can trust, that's Ulif. Uh, and she says that we're going to get out of here and, and cut and run. Uh, and he briefly completely misunderstands what she's saying. And then they prepare to head out because uh, she doesn't know what's going to go wrong, but she's got a, b- a bad feeling about it. Uh, and of course, that immediately goes wrong with uh, with Ulif ratting her out. Narc. And we have, uh, as she's preparing to go, we have some some discussion of her past with Reen. She's remembering some of the things that he used to say. Uh, and a little bit of, uh, Vin's got a, a bit of a sentimental side. She's gathering up the things that she, that she has. She's got a little stone from some of the cities they've been in. Um, a single earring. You know, she says it's it's not a whole lot. You don't want to be super fancy, but she's got this little earring. Um... She's got a, a neat chunk of obsidian that's kind of cool, and that's all that she'll bring with her. Very sentimental. Very not useful. <laughs> I, I feel like Vin could rely on, on her wits on the street, but there, there's not a lot there that's even worth trading. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I guess the earring uh, push came to shove, but, you know. She's kind of starting on the back foot here. Even that, they were like, it's just a stud that she just sort of shoves in her ear. Um, mm-hmm. I thought this part was really cute, also because it reminds me of a D&D campaign that I'm in, where one of our, our players is collecting rocks to like send to their long-distance lover, essentially. And uh, totally a very different situation, so I thought it was very sweet to see uh, Vin doing that here. So she starts to head out, try to sneak away. And like we said, uh, Yulif has, has gone to Cayman and Cayman is pissed. And we had, we had heard some about this in the previous section that Cayman was, uh, had, had beaten Vin before, but this, we see it here. He's, uh, he throws a, a chair at her. Uh, he's trying to beat her down and, and she tries to use, what's left of her luck to to get him to stop and it very briefly works and and but it it doesn't really yeah i uh <clears throat> we'll talk about it later obviously but i i kind of reconsidered my casting based on this scene <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. You think um, uh, you, you think this is a little too harsh for Ed Sheeran? I think so. I I I think the sentimental, you know, pop star guy is probably not gonna try to beat somebody to death. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but, Danny yeah. DeVito, on the other hand. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. After crawling naked out of a couch. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately, in the nick of time, uh, we get a a meeting of some characters that we've seen before, and Kelsier bursts into the shop, and he is uh, an imposing figure. Yeah, <laughs> throws people all around and really flexes that allomancy. It's very cool to see that um, it's not just like uh, close-up magic, which is kind of how it was almost portrayed with Vin using her luck. Um, it's cool to see, uh, well, and tin, like even tin, when he, when he burns it at the start, it seems like, oh, this is nifty and useful in some cases, but here Kelsier shows that you can use it to kick people's ass, which is great. Yeah. It needed this, this bump to kind of show that it has that kind of power. So I, I enjoyed this very much. I also love that despite the fact that he's just coming in and kind of basically bullying everyone, a bunch of people are like, holy shit, that's the Hatson guy. Oh, hell yeah, get on in here, buddy. Like, um, there's there's um, some, some uh, as Vin points out, like luck, as she calls it, being burned on all of them. But like, just the idea that there, he's kind of this kind of underground celebrity is a really oh, yeah. interesting dynamic to bring to the table. Yeah, it's really cool seeing both Kelsier and Alamancy from this sort of layman isn't exactly the right word, but that's the word I'm using, layman's perspective. Because no one has any idea what the hell he's doing. He just sort of beats down the door and then starts throwing Cayman across the room with his brain. And then it's like, I dealt with a steel inquisitor for you. You're welcome. I just really enjoy the sense of drama here. Presentation. Yeah, we've we've read through these these first few chapters now we we get the sense that kel does have a sense for the dramatic so then he makes his deal uh he says that he requires some payment for the fact that he has saved this crew uh and we see mylev or milev i don't remember i think mylev uh who decides that he's going to step up and be in charge now because cayman has is still lying on the floor uh mylev decides that the easiest way out of this is to just pay Kelsier all the money, and uh, Kelsier says, great, you're in charge now. Democracy. Would you say a previous management has failed you? Good, you're in charge now. So then to set up for the the rest of this and the, the upcoming chapters, uh, Kelsier uh, tells the, the thieving crew here that he wants to requisition their hideout for the evening. And so he, he pays them back a little bit. So they don't come away with, with nothing. And, and then he says, get out. So that he can have a, a conversation with Vin. And Vin, of course, well, I'm sure we'll cover it in 10 seconds. But uh, she thinks Kelsier is going to kill her. Hooray. <laughs> she just cannot catch a break with her with her lack of trust of people. <laughs> Which I guess is a fair uh, perspective to have, considering you just 
you know <laughs> i mean literally a, mi- a minute ago yeah yeah finn continues to not have a good day <laughs> Chapter three. Vin continues. <laughs> I was gonna say, let's just uh, speaking of copy pasting. <laughs> yeah, you just keep that soundbite on hand, and we'll keep throwing it in there. We will point it out, I'm sure, when we reach a chapter that we could say that Vin does have a good day. We'll see how long it takes. It's not gonna be in this book. I can feel it. <laughs> so. Milov and the rest of the crew get out and then we see a bit of a change here and and Kel reveals that he was he was putting on a bit of a show back there and Doxon you know th- these two we get to see some some friendship some buddy relationship there uh Doxon thinks that Kel is insufferable with his drama uh he's probably right and then uh, the two of them start to uh try to have a conversation with Vin and try to make her day a little bit better. Which they don't do terribly well at, just given her whole deal. But they do give her some answers, which I'm sure is is much appreciated by both her and readers to figure out what the hell is going on here. But first she requests ale, which I like. Which she doesn't drink. You want something to drink? Just, just ale. So yeah, we get a little bit uh, more explanation here. Uh, and these are some things that that Vin knows, and she gets to connect some pieces. There, there exists uh, a sort of higher tier of of the criminal underground. Uh, those who are more capable, uh, more well equipped, and handle the the bigger, more dramatic jobs, as opposed to the kind of just keep yourself alive, um, scamming and robbing that that Vin's crew takes part in which i think is well set up by what you were saying earlier about kelsier's entrance and or i think it was what caleb was saying earlier i think it was well set up by what someone was saying earlier about you know Kel coming in and essentially ordering everyone around and everyone just obeys instantly and it's like great yeah what can we do for you we're not gonna mess with you we're clearly out of our league here mm-hmm and then Vin gets some explanation as to why her in particular, uh, because as they're they're talking about, uh, Kelsier and Doxon are talking about who they are, uh, and Kelsier says that you know they're not they're not full blooded noble, which Vin says that half breeds aren't supposed to exist, and Kelsier already knows that that she is one, and that uh that explains some things and vin vin has vaguely heard of allomancy and knows that it's magic of some sort and that it's linked to the nobility uh but it's it's very mythical and definitely not something that she would ever consider herself as before this yeah i thought that was very interesting the the well I don't know. We'll talk about it in later chapters, I'm sure. But the fact that Alamancy is hereditary, but also like only a noble... Well, you know, obviously we're finding out that it's not exactly exclusively a noble trait, but it's very interesting to me that that kind of selective breeding, I guess, is, is, uh, is possible 
in in a, in a complicated world. Yeah. Um, and Brandon has actually talked um, in the annotations. I think it it mainly comes up later in the book, uh, but he he points out that allomancy is it's the only magic system that he's made that is significantly genetic in that it's uh whether or not you are an alamancer is is something that's passed down um and he he mentioned how he had to be a little careful because in these kind of books you you have this this rhetoric about you know some people being better or more powerful or above others which are things that we we don't like to you know associate with um but allomancy at least the little that we've heard so far you either are or you aren't and and that is passed through your heritage so it's it's an interesting line to to balance on <laughs> and one that uh you know authors like H.P. Lovecraft or C.S. Lewis or you know, name any other old older sci-fi, they would lean way into it. They would not shy away or try and walk that line. They'd be like, "Some people are better than others," <laughs> and so it is. It's a fine line to walk, and Brandon seems to be walking it pretty well here so far, mm-hmm. at least. Well, and so. we're starting out like as we're learning this. Two of the three characters in this scene we know are our half breeds as they say yeah so it's it's there's definitely some some complexities here it's also very enjoyable rereading these early stages as someone who's read it before and has spent a lot of reading hours like thinking about and reading about and understanding alamancy and to see it from this sort of like mythical perspective Makes me feel a little bit smug. <laughs> I won't lie that that you just get to know it uh, uh, pretty well. Mm-hmm. So Kelsier offers some explanation right away. He tells Vin that you should never uh, use emotional alamancy on any of the obligators. Uh, we touched on that last episode. How did they get caught? Uh, what what happened there? Uh, and Kelsier says that they they're trained to recognize it. And Vin's use of of luck at the Canton building was what got them what got them caught. Uh, he says, unfortunately, he didn't actually kill the Inquisitor, uh, just distracted him for a bit. But most likely, they'll be okay. I'm sure the Inquisitors will never be a problem again. Yeah, deeply, deeply reassuring. And Kelsier also says that you know he he's the the one who has the knowledge about the magic in this scene. He's giving us all these explanations. Uh, and he says that they have no idea how Steel Inquisitors are alive with the spikes in their head. Just doesn't have any clue. Kind of mystique is very cool. You know, having not having characters have every answer is is awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it would be very easy for him to just lay everything out. But, you know, there's some stuff that not even he knows. Right. There are There are characters who know these things and characters who don't. But we see that there are there are levels within that especially satisfying to see that when we're sort of in exposition zone of just i mean right. it's a well-written enjoyable scene but at the end of the day a large portion of this scene is kelsier explains things to vin <laughs> yes so it's nice to to have that sort of yeah this part no fucking idea anyway 
moment within that. Mm-hmm. And now we get some allomancy. Uh, Kelsier offers Vin a mysterious vial of liquid, says that she's going to drink it. It takes some convincing. Vin makes him drink some first. She makes him shake it up so that he gets whatever is mixed in, as does she. And and Kelsier is rolling his eyes at all this, but but does it anyway. And then he says, why don't you you try it out? Try out what you can do. And she has this vast amount of, of power that she never even thought could be there before. I I thought it was very interesting that... <laughs> I mean, the Princess Bride comparison here just struck me instantly. Because, um, I, I don't know, how do you know that he didn't build up like a, tol- a tolerance of it over the years and just wants to poison her? I don't know. I think the fact that he clearly wants her in his crew is a sign that he wasn't going to poison her. Um, I think it's weird that Vin is this skeptical still. But uh, I also don't think it's weird because it's Vin. Um, She's skeptical of everybody. That's good. Um, But I don't know. Drink half of it doesn't exactly prove... It's not a foolproof way of... Sure keeping from being poisoned never go in against the sicilian when death is on the line there's definitely like a very dark version of this story or you know a different author writing in in this world where this is just poison and and then we don't see vin and then end of book need to poison her he could just i mean he's got plenty of other powers she's 16 yeah um i also like it would be an incredible long con i believe they both drink the first vial together but i don't know if they do it for the second one so it would be an incredible long con if kel knew she was going to ask that didn't put poison in the first vial but then did put poison in the second vial (laughs) mind games so as vin completes kelsier's little test uh, the main thing that he was checking for is that she has access to two different kinds of power. Uh, the way that, that she understands it without much uh, explanation yet is that there's there are two kinds of luck and they, they behave slightly differently. She doesn't really know any of the specifics. Uh, but what Kelsier says is the way that Alamancy works, at least as far as they understand, is... There's a very small chance that you will be born with one of these alimantic powers. You'll be able to draw power from from one metal and do one thing. And there's an even smaller chance that you get all of them. And those are the only two possibilities. So if Vin has has these two, then she, like Kelsier, is a Mistborn. It was clever of him to... Especially... It'd be sort of like, um, you know, we'll get into steel and iron later on, but, um, you know, there are powers that if you know how to use one, you probably can guess how to use the other. Right. Like uh, steel pushing, iron pulling. Um, So if you know how to use quote-unquote luck, then you know how to use the flip side of luck. Right. And the dark dark side of the Schwartz. (laughs) Exactly. And, And Vin had caught their attention originally because she had been soothing marsh is what what dachshund said 
Uh, so yeah, that's a good point. Like you said, if she can use this one, try her out with the other uh, and see how that works. So then they talk a bit about the hereditary nature of Allomancy uh, and that the more closely related you are to high nobility, to someone likely to be an Allomancer, the, the better the odds are that you are. Uh, they talk about Vin's, uh, Vin's parents, or at least what she knows of them. Her mother was uh, just a, uh, a kind of unknown whore on the streets. She doesn't remember much. Uh, her father apparently is a high prelate in the steel ministry, which Kelsier finds kind of funny. <laughs> wob wob. We also get an interesting detail that I don't think had been mentioned until now. Um, I believe this is the first time Vin identifies Reen as her half-brother. Yes. Um, which would likely imply that Reen probably is not um, a misting or a misborn, unless uh, their mom just happens to, you know, get with two separate noblemen who also had those powers inherent. Um which is yeah, that's just um, that's just an interesting thing to note. Um, yeah, yeah, the odds would definitely be against it, as we understand it right now. Uh, Vin's father, the the high prelin, is is probably the reason why she is a mistborn, uh, and so if that's not Reen's dad, then it would be fairly unlikely for that. And as we wrap up. Chapter three, uh, Kelsier gets to kind of clue her in on on what this all means uh, in that most Mistborn who are members of the nobility are already some of the most powerful and influential people out there. But because Kelsier and now Vin are outside of this kind of high society, they're, they're part of this underground and they have these powers they really have an awful lot that they can do. And that's where we wrap up chapter three. Uh, going into chapter four, checking in on our epigraphs again, uh, they're going to be making a journey through the mountains of Terrace, uh, hiring some some Pac-Men who live there uh, to help them out, but not a lot of, of detail beyond that. I like how these epigraphs are bouncing between I noted in the first episode these very, like, philosophical waxings about, you know, power and prophecy and place in the world, down to this very mundane, we're gonna have to hire some folks to carry right. our stuff. It's very cold. Yeah. Well, I think that, count, that moves toward my thing of it feels like we're reading a journal where sometimes, you know, it's late at night and you've had a long day of thinking and you want to get really introspective and talk about your place in the world. And then the next day, you know, you're tired, but you got to put an entry down. So it's like, yeah, I did some, some business stuff today. And uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. And then the next entry is milk, eggs, lettuce. <laughs> eggs. Shit, no, I already said eggs. <laughs> Damn it. Wrong notebook. It's, it's just like a... <laughs> Uh, Oregon Trail. You have to buy however many pounds of meat and eight oxen and oh no, the dysentery. So, oh, I'm remembering the uh, the classic meme that I shared of uh, going through uh, Oregon Trail with 
zero pounds of meat, zero oxen, zero extra yolks, one hat, 12 <laughs> grandfather clocks. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Throw some pianos in there, too. <laughs> we'll trade for what we need. Uh, my tangent is that uh, uh, back in the day, I used to play Oregon Trail, which is separate from Oregon Trail, um, mm-hmm. because Oregon Trail spelled like organs, like your liver and your heart, uh, is a zombie apocalypse take on the Oregon Trail. Um, and it was, it was very fun. That's the that's the whole thing. That's the tangent. Still on Steam. Is it still there? Yeah, I think it's like three bucks. Nice. Neat. This is now a gaming podcast. Haha. <laughs> Swerved. Swerved back to chapter four, uh, okay. where hey. we have <laughs> we have uh, Vin's crew discussing some of what we mentioned in the last chapter. How there are there exists this this more prestigious group out there uh and what they think is going to happen is that uh kelsier and his group are hiring them or hiring some of them to to do some of the some of their dirty work uh and they're using vin as the the negotiator the go-between the twixt twixt as they say uh this reminded me of a a, a red letter media uh, video best of the worst um in an episode where they discussed a movie called hollow gate there were um in the movie two cops in a car and for what is probably a 15 minute consecutive unbroken segment they discuss the plot because there is so much to go through apparently that they cannot explain um the, the what what i found weird here um First of all, it's, I mean, it's well-written, you know, you know, I'm not going to knock Brandon Sanderson, um, but uh, what's weird is everything that he talks about, everything that these thieves are talking about, um, Kelsier himself says in the next chapter on the, on the roof, um, and, and I think it's weird because so much of it sounds like bullshit, <laughs> But it's not. Um, I wrote down like things that we find out to be the truth, things that we find out to be bullshit, and things that are unknown. Um, I have one, two, three, four, five, six things that are true, three things that are bullshit, and two things that we don't yet know. I am obsessed with the fact that you're categorizing like this. Yes. The things that are true, are these things about kelsier's backstory as as yes. the ska know of it yes indeed um so um so the the things that they say that are true i thought first of all i thought everything was bullshit because it was all very strange um and very uh uh, uh exorbitant i guess mm-hmm. but um what's true uh in in my brief notes that i wrapped out while i was going um but said a little bit better um true kelsier was the best crew leader in luthadel he was betrayed by his crew the lord ruler himself caught him um hathson are the pits um and he's well one of my unknown is that he's the only one to ever escape from hathson um it's also true that his wife died and it's also true that he wasn't an alamancer before hathson or at least didn't know about it um 
my three bullshits are uh well i guess this one's maybe not bullshit but who knows um it's an imposter and not actually kelsier that he's not human or like a mist wraith well i don't did they give it a term or did they just say that he's not human someone mentions um that it might have been a mist wraith who took his face or something oh yeah yeah you're right um i am wrong uh that he's a a mist wraith um possibly I'll, I'll rank that as possibly bullshit maybe bullshit um and then my other bullshit is that the crew is in with the heist um which you know unfortunately womp womp there yeah no I there's don't think just one person here that that, that uh kelsier cares about yeah um and my two unknowns uh are that he's the only one to ever escape from hatson and they talk about the origin of the scars on his arms. Um, they think it's either climbing out of the pits, killing the Inquisitor, or strangling the monster who guards the pits from the inside. From the inside. From the inside. Definitely true. There's a brief note where one of the other guys is like, how does that even work? Yeah, that doesn't even make sense. I pictured um, Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. after being swallowed and just stabbing violently at the inside of the monster. Yep. Dave Bautista, Kelsier casting confirmed. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, he oh. needs to play one of the Inquisitors. He's a wrestler. Damn it. Exactly. Inquisitors, wrestlers. Anyway, that's my that's my segue, my side plot here. All right. I think it's it, it is weird to get the same information twice. But I, I do like how it's framed because it gives us yet another sense of how Kelsier is perceived by the rest of the world and just this air of mystery around this man uh, that he certainly plays into right. and, and uses to his advantage. So it's interesting to be able to get both perspectives on that from, yeah, and from I think, what I see. And I think part of that like feeling of trying to suss out what's bullshit and what's not is very intentional and it's almost kind of a plot twist in the following chapter when you find out that Kelsier was like 80% telling the truth. Um, I still think there's probably some some stuff he's holding back on. There's some elements to his plan that he's purposely keeping secret, but um, the kind of, yeah, reveal where we're, we're literally in his inner thoughts where presumably he cannot lie to the reader um and everything seems to be checking out so far in terms of what he's told them versus what we are seeing um which is yeah i think i think it's it's like i said it's it's weird it's a weird twist that this guy who we're still not sure if we can trust 100 percent seems to be doing it seems to be being pretty genuine on on the most part plus it plays into the rule of cool when we're like that can't possibly be that's that's impossible and all of the layman characters are like that can't be that's impossible and then he goes no that's what i'm doing <laughs> that's happening <laughs> yep it's just it's a thing and i i will say like absolutely pl plays a purpose you know people know who he is he's a badass and they they themselves suspect that it's not true but it is actually true that he is this badass so let us continue yeah so as uh, as it happens next the the meeting is getting started people are starting to show up uh notably not showing up at least for a little bit is kelsier who is late to his own meeting classic 
but the first two to arrive, we have Hammond or Ham and Breeze. Uh, and once again, I like these two. Hammond is a uh, see. This is where this is where we're going to have to divert from the plan of casting wrestlers as Steel Inquisitors because Ham, if anyone, is someone who would be a a, a wrestler turned actor. Oh, oh, we'll we'll get to casting. Don't worry, we, we've got ideas. All right, all right, <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. But yeah, he's a uh, he's a big guy. He's uh, he's wearing a vest. He doesn't have sleeves. Uh, and then his his friend Breeze is uh, is the fancy one. He's got a, a nice suit on. Uh, he's got a, a fancy hat and a cane. And they come in and get comfortable. I just gotta say, I love me uh, those two guys. Oh yeah, love they... the those two guys tropes. And we got a strong strong those two guys here. Yeah, we got a, got a couple of perfect boys. Um, I don't know if there's going to be any textual evidence against this. But I think you can also uh, possibly read them as a couple. I think they're kind of interactions when they're first with Vin and Ham is like, "Come on, Breeze, don't don't mess with her too much." It's they're they're kind of cute together. Um, and yeah, I just you know that's a little that's a little thing I'm I'm you know percolating, seeing if that's that's a valid reading. One other thing that I like um, is that Ham is one seemingly sort of intelligent and two is seemingly kind of a nice guy mm-hmm. um whereas it is so easy to cast the the muscle bound you know muscle as kind of a, a an idiot or at least a jerk um, right ham seems to be the nicest among them all um at least with how he greets Kelsier. so yeah so and as as we're waiting for more people to arrive uh there's some some interesting back and forth where uh, Breeze, uh, as Vin knows it, uses luck on her, uh, and she barely even realizes it until Ham says, hey, knock it off. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of kind of setting the tone of... It's it's very similar to Avatar, honestly, of knowing Vin, our main character, will have some form of control over all these elements, but... You still need the specialty crew members who are really good at what they do because seeing Breeze come in and just use the skill that Vin is already familiar with, but just kind of blow her out of the water with it, mm-hmm. um, I think sets the tone for showing that, like, you know, even if Vin can is a misborn who can control all of them um, and Kelsier, um, it still very much helps to have the Mistings who are just very, very good at the one thing they do. I was going to say, especially compared to Kelsier, who, like, we know both Kelsier and Breeze, from what we understand, are, you know, trained in this, experienced with this. When Kelsier uses luck, it's kind of like a sledgehammer. <laughs> like, he just sort of bowls over all the emotions and gets everyone to flatly calm down. But in juxtaposition with Breeze, we see how much more delicate, how much more finesse, how much more control mm-hmm. he can get. Uh, when you've got the one sort of skill like you can fine tune that and that sure. you, you know whereas Kelsier would be like training all of these kind of equally breeze it seems is really 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 like better than Kelsier at this the the manipulation of emotions so it, it's very cool good good to see and then i just like the way that this this little exchange ends where breeze was trying to convince vin to to get him a drink 
and then after he gets called out on it by Ham, uh, he he's like, "Well, come on, you're already standing over there. You've already poured the drink. Can you just can you just bring it back over here for me?" Um, and and Vin just doesn't. She's like, "No, fuck you. I'm not bringing you this drink." And he doesn't go get it himself. <laughs> yeah, no, he he can't do that. Uh, and then Ham offers some explanation as as to his part in this. I like how there's a, a multi-layered, multi-step explanation because Vin doesn't know anything. Um, he says that uh, that he's a thug, which is a, a, a nickname, uh, and she doesn't get it. And he says that he burns pewter, and she still doesn't get it. And then Breeze explains that Ham hits things very hard. He hits things, particularly other people who try to interfere with what the rest of us are doing. Ham explains that he's not just dumb muscle, which right. I, I really liked. Yeah. Hits things very hard, especially people. Reminds me of the uh, incredible Resident Evil 1 quote of uh, when Barry Burton hands the main character a gun and says, it's really powerful, especially against living things. <laughs> yeah, those were some games. <laughs> so we get our next newcomer, uh, who, it's a great description. Uh, he's wearing some some fairly plain workmanlike clothes uh his face is knotted and gnarled uh and he i i like this line his eyes shone with the level of disapproving dissatisfaction only the elderly can display this is a grumpy old man who sits all the way on the other side of the room we've talked a little bit about how brandon's writing doesn't tend to have that many bells or whistles on it for better or for worse but he just has such strong characterization right off the bat for all these guys. I love it. Like, every time we introduce we get introduced to a new character, Justin, you're like, we meet these people who I like. I like them. And that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's not just a, because we've read it before, it's just right off the bat, you like them. So they have some, some back and forth. Vin is kind of starting to get into the, the swing of this conversation. Uh, breathes, breathes, soothes her again. She gets mad at him for it again. And then they are informed that the, the last person they're waiting for is Yeden, who does show up uh, and is relatively unassuming for how much the others uh, dislike him. And then finally, Kelsier and Doxon show up to Kelsier's own meeting. And, and Sam, like you said, they have... Uh, that you know they're happy to see each other and and ham in particular is is uh it it's good for him to see cal and also kelsier says that uh how does he put it he hates it when people arrive late yes he says he loathes being made to wait as he shows up probably 15 minutes late to a meeting he scheduled that's very much like my father picked me up from high school back in the day of does not like waiting outside so he will purposefully come 10 minutes after I tell him to be there so that I'm the one waiting and he can just, I can just hop in the car. So Kelsier, before they get started, Kelsier mentions that he was, uh, he was late because he was off talking to his brother, uh, who will not be joining them that evening. But, uh, Kelsier is convinced that he will still be joining the crew eventually. And then we finally get informed of what the job is. Uh, and that is overthrowing the government nbd you know <laughs> as you do can i just say 
I'm very excited to watch this plan. I love heists. I particularly love multi-stage heists, which seems like this is where it's going to be. Um, I can't deny this plan sounds very dumb. It's a tall ask. There are five people in a room, and I know they're talking. They're going to get armies, and they're going to gather more people. But the idea that there's just five people in a bar, and one of them's like, "Hey, you want to overthrow the tyrannical government?" And then the reveal of, "I don't even really care." about that but i want the money that the emperor has um it's just it's so crazy it's it's so crazy it might just work <laughs> i thought it was interesting that the plan is not to overthrow and hold the plan is to overthrow and then even if everybody dies the plan has been achieved yeah, because it will have shown to the ska that it's possible that you can fight. Um, that's kind of I like that. <laughs> it's so so honest, you know. Eden is not very optimistic, even in his crazy plan. Yeah, no, that's true. So the uh, the payment is negotiated uh, thirty thousand boxings, uh, but. Like you mentioned, on top of that, uh, once the government has been overthrown, you know, that little bit, uh, they get to take half of the money. Uh, or in particular, uh, Atium, which they mentioned for the first time here, I think. Well, I think Kelsier had used the word in the previous chapter. Uh, but we, we talk about Atium. It's a very valuable metal. Uh, and this crew has right to half of whatever they find when the, the government is toppled. The government that is led by God, question mark? By God, yes. Sliver of infinity. <laughs> Sliver infinity, I also wrote that one down. Yeah, um, it's just cool. <laughs> it's just very cool. I just, I literally, my note is, quote unquote, Sliver of infinity, good D&D, and that's the end of the note. <laughs> Which is code for, that's a good, like, name that I could use for something in D&D, but just the fact that I just wrote good D&D. Um, yeah, it's also just, it's interesting, like, we find out very shortly that, um, Kelsier does not necessarily want the Adium just for financial gain, which I kind of caught on to the fact that, hey, if the government does collapse, are, are you sure that the little gems that you take out of the vaults are going to be really useful in whatever post-Empire economy gets built? Like, it's just... It seems very strange to be like, we're going to overthrow the Empire, and also we're going to get money. And it's like, I don't even know if money's going to work the same after you overthrow the Empire. Um, so from that alone, I was like, I wonder if the ADM is something else special. And then we uh, don't get too far into it, but we find out that, yes, that does seem to be the case. I'm reminded of Krugerrands. So even people who aren't spending it in South Africa, where it, where it was from, uh, it's still made out of gold. So it's still useful. So at Adium, um, it's an alimantic metal. So it's still got some kind of use, even if the empire falls. It's not mm -hmm. like, I don't know, uh, Zimbabwe currency. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Was it $100 billion for a, a chicken or something? Something like that. Depends on what, yeah. what day of the month. Exactly. Hyperinflation. 
Yeah, no one really pulls any punches in this conversation about how, f- frankly, how fucked they all are from the yeah. start. We brought up, you know, they're fighting God. They're trying to topple a sliver of infinity. Uh, Kelsier has a whole tangent about how unsuccessful the rebellion has been in the past. You know, cites specific massacres. <laughs> to which Yidin is like, hang on, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> And even Eden throughout this conversation, you know, they're kind of poking fun at the rebellion. He's like, yeah, all of you suck, <laughs> but you're my best option, so take my money, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's not even take my money, I guess. It's, I guess I gave you the money, so right. yeah, I guess we're doing this. Is it here or is it later where where he's, where, where Kelsier says, you can't back out, you already paid us? I believe at the, it's, it's towards the end of this chapter, but yeah, yeah it's 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 here. Um, something I've noticed that again, this this ties into the wider conversation of whether or not Kelsier is a good person. Um, but Kelsier has a habit of acting in such a way that it forces other people to act mm-hmm. and not giving them a choice in it. And because Kelsier thinks that he's forcing them to do the right thing, it's justified. But, you know, he burns down the Tresting estate and then he's like, oh, well, now the Ska have to join the Rebellion. And it's like, that's kind of a messed up mentality to have for convincing people to join the Rebellion. And it's not quite as messed up in this chapter, but it's a very similar thing of like, all right, well, I told you guys the plan and I know you guys are going to do it because you're all here. So, yeah, this is just going to happen now. Yeah, he definitely has uh, a kind of very assured forcefulness to it. And that'll be that'll be a, an interesting thing to look at as we keep going. Some other things that we talk about during this this beginning of a plan uh, is that the the crew is somewhat unconvinced about stealing the the ATM supply because they're they're wondering if the Lord Ruler could just make more because nobody even knows where it comes from. Uh, and Kelsier says, "Well, at least one person does uh, because it turns out that the pits of Hathsin." Uh, are not just a prison, they are also a mine. And that is the the working purpose of them, is to mine Atium. And uh, shortly after this, uh, Clubs, who we saw come in earlier and hasn't said anything this whole time, uh, decides that this entire thing is ridiculous and storms out. And then uh, Vin's part in all this gets revealed uh, in, uh, of course, a, a slightly dramatic fashion, uh, because... Like Vin mentioned earlier, Breeze and Ham just assumed that as well that she was a, a twixt for the other crew. Uh, and then Kelsier kind of slowly draws it out that uh, no, she is in fact uh, their newest Mistborn, which is a shock to all of them. Uh, Yeden says that, that Ska Mistborn don't even exist. Uh, and and Breeze tells him that you should try not to talk so much because you'll sound far less stupid. Uh, but then we get to, uh, like we were mentioning earlier, the the third layer of the plan. Uh, the first of which is the uh, helping the Ska Rebellion to overthrow the city. Uh, the second of which for the crew is to steal the Lord Ruler's ATM. And then the third of which is Kelsier's part in the plan, which is he wants to kill the Lord Ruler. Uh, which, like we said, and and like Hammond says right here, this is this is God. You you can't kill God. Much as you know, t- 
tyrannical leader aside, much as it would be great to depose him, you can't kill him. And Kelsier claims that he has a plan. Uh, he has, and he shows them, he has a piece of the 11th medal. Uh, he says, Allomancy, uh, everyone talks about the, the eight basic medals and then two higher medals. Uh, but he has a piece of an 11th medal that is yet unknown. Uh, and he doesn't even quite know exactly what it does. Uh, but he thinks that it is the secret to defeating the Lord Ruler. I'm going to tee up my uh, my theory here just by saying that uh, the other people who are there claim that they haven't even heard the rumor of the 11th medal. Yeah, that's this is definitely this is definitely an unusual piece and we, we can uh, we can talk on that later. Uh, that wraps up chapter 4. We move on into chapter 5. Uh, we don't get a grocery list in our ep- our uh, epigram we get a little bit of musing on the fate of the world. Uh, our our journal writer here uh, says that the deepness, capital T, capital D, uh, must be destroyed. Uh, and apparently he is the one who's supposed to do that, or she or they. Uh, but they, they don't know how, or, or even what it is, really. And as we begin chapter five, we get a title drop. Not for the book, but for this podcast. Heyo. As Kelsier finds a a secret drawer in a secret drawer uh, to find the good wine that he can drink, uh, and he tells Doxon that there's always another secret. Oh man, I I I wrote that line down because I thought it was an author nod, like a wink, like hey reader, you know. I mean, um, it it's in world, but it also is a a, a nod to the reader. And I think the the rule of thumb for Brandon and for this book and and Kelsier in particular is that every time you think you've you've now seen what he was referring to, there's still another secret. Didn't Brandon use that quote in some of his latest dramatic reveal videos? Um, he used it, um, and I will speak very vaguely when Bands of Mourning came out. And the way that that book ended. And then there was the little postscript from Brandon um, that uh, revealed the existence of another short story. Uh, And that was when Brandon, I think, most recently said that there was always another secret. Gotcha. So definitely a a author sort of winking at the reader. Mm -hmm. Certainly at at this point it is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I looked at that wink and said... You could make a podcast out of this. (laughs) Or at least a podcast name. So we continue on. Uh, There's going to be, there's a little more planning. Uh, Most of the the gang has already left. It's just Vin and Kelsier and Dachshund at this point. Kelsier uh, does say that he needs to, uh, they they need to find a smoker because clubs stormed off. Uh, And Kelsier needs some more ATM. He, we get some some words that are just breezed right past with no meaning whatsoever. Uh, Kelsier spent the ATM buying Orser's contract. That's a name and a capital C contract. Uh, and then he used his last bit at Tresting's plantation, which Vin has heard about. This this news has apparently traveled. Um, I'm curious as to did he use the ATM for allomancy or did he buy something? that's not super clear 
could be that could be theorizing i certainly have my theory because the other thing that he says that he did with it is he he bought a contract so that's that's a good point but it just i'm i'm reminded of like in video games when you're when the bandit comes and he says hey if you don't pay me $500 then i'll kill you on the spot so you pay him $500 and then he walks away and then you stealth kill him and you take the money back <laughs> so so I'm curious if uh, maybe he gave the ADM to the to the ska who were there, um, but if he if he paid it in some way toward trusting, then he would take it back. So my my figuring is either he he spent it on giving the ska a leg up, um, or he spent it in whatever its elementic use is, which we still don't know. We will definitely take a look at that later. So the next thing that happens uh, in this extended meeting is that clubs shows back up. Uh, Kelsier, not surprised at all. Vin, definitely surprised. And clubs says that he didn't want to do any of this negotiation uh, while the soother was around. Uh, Kelsier thinks that this doesn't make a lot of sense. He says he couldn't do much to you if you didn't want him to. Uh, but Club says that he doesn't like soothers, uh, even without Alamancy, uh, you can't trust that you're you're not being manipulated. So Clubs is is back now, uh, wants to to chat with Kel with a little more privacy. Uh, and and Kelsier talks him into it. So they found their smoker. It's also such a wild stipulation. I know we've clarified that Reese is very, very good at what he does, but it's just a wild thing for Clubs to be like. I don't trust it when there's a smoother, uh, a soother in the room talking to someone who he knows is also capable of using soothing powers. That is a good point. Kelsier can do that too. People seem to, I mean, you know, everybody, except Vin apparently, but people seem to just put a lot of stock in Kelsier. Like, that he's a, an honest, upstanding person, um, which is great. Uh, but also interesting because he's famous i guess mm-hmm. um i don't know maybe he's famous for being so upstanding this point makes no sense please don't include it thank you <laughs> no it's in it's in now for sure it's in. no ah so after the negotiation with clubs uh who clubs seems to be in it for the the moral reason too he says he wants a chance to spit in the lord ruler's face and, uh, and then he heads off. And now, uh, like we were mentioning before, uh, now it is again just Kelsier, uh, Doxon, and Vin. And we do hear some of Kelsier's history. And, and Sam, like you said, at least a decent bit of the mythology is, is true. Uh, there, he had been a crew leader. He was, he was famous. He wasn't an Alamancer. Uh, and then one disastrous job later, and and then the pits, and now we're here. They have a brief discussion. Uh, Kelsier is going off to attempt to steal some more ATM. Uh, he wants to know, he asks Doxon, which of the, the great houses in the city does he think would be most worth robbing? Uh, Doxon decides that, that Venture is probably the one. They're the, the most powerful right now. 
Uh, and Kelsier says, well, if they're the most powerful, then that's exactly where I'm headed. Which I don't know how relevant it actually is. I imagine not all that much, but we have actually heard the venture name before because that is the uh, house that Lord Trusting was excited to be like getting into business with. That is true, yes. In the prologue. Oh, that is true. Well remembered. I mean, I was like, I think that might be a thing. And I did have to go back and double check. I did not know for sure, but... And then uh, Kelsier gets to be further dramatic uh, as he reveals and puts on his mist cloak, which these are really cool. And a lot of people have tried to make one and it's hard to get it to look quite right. But at least in my mind's eye, it looks really cool. Yeah, the description made me feel like, oh, I could easily see a live action rendition of this looking dumb. But in my head, it looks really, really cool. Mm hmm. I <laughs> I dressed as Vin for Halloween once. I had was just a very cool child dressing as obscure sci-fi book characters. Um, and uh, Justin and I's mother makes or made all of our costumes, and she did her darndest to make a mist cloak. But I don't think I described it to her well enough either. So it your your assumption of a live action rendition of them looking kind of dumb was true in my case <laughs> i'm very eager to see that oh god i don't even know if i have pictures i'll take a look all right all right i couldn't help it i, I i'm a wrestling fan um and i couldn't help but think of ultimate warriors streamers on his on his arms uh i, I couldn't shake it um we all frantically google <laughs> yeah probably not quite uh not quite as colorful yeah, I'm. am I'm, I'm betting that it that, that that is not useful for hiding among the mists. No. Uh, so, but yeah, the the description is that it it's it's kind of a, a shifting gray, various grays. Uh, it's made of all these these tassels that kind of uh, like drift around. Uh, yeah, and it's it's meant to to hide you in the mist, and it denotes you as a mistborn so kelsier is, is arming himself up for the fight uh he has uh no metal on him besides his uh his little vials of of metal flakes and a pouch of coins uh and he has a pair of daggers that are made out of glass which is really cool very cool and so then off we go uh and now we get to see on screen some of the more physical applications of allomancy. We saw it briefly when, when Kelsier made his dramatic entrance and threw people around. Uh, but now he goes flying off across the city by pushing himself off of pieces of metal. And this is really awesome. And I want to see this either in a movie or even better in a video game. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah, like with how the newest spider-man game it, mm -hmm. i haven't actually played it to be honest but it sounds like they sort of nailed swinging around the city the technology is possible it exists it really makes you feel like spider-man <laughs> i want to feel like spider-man it's a good game so he goes bounding across the the city he has some th some thoughts to himself in the meantime uh he thinks about the things that gemmel taught him we don't get a lot of detail about that but that's where Kelsier learned some of this. Uh, talks about the 
the the consequences of using iron and steel that it depends it, it is like pushing or pulling on something with your own weight so you do need to be careful there i love that we are hearing him remember Gemmel's thoughts and one of the thing is is like don't push anything heavier than you and we are seeing him actively disobey his own that advice in order to get around like well Gemmel does say unless you want to be to be tossed away right but she makes it sound like a bad thing and here's Kelsier like immediately learning the lesson within the lesson and like remembering back to the advice and being like yes I will use this advice by disobeying it yeah that I mean that tracks with what we know of Kel yeah and he makes it to keep venture uh, which is the first building that we've seen that's actually looks beautiful uh, we'll see we will see a bunch of the the noble keeps as this story goes on uh, and most if not all of them are based on real buildings in some fashion or another uh, and keep venture I remember this one uh, is based on the National Cathedral in Washington DC which is a, a very cool looking building <laughs> frantic typing uh-huh we'll give everyone a moment I mean it's a it's a gothic cathedral like Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a cool-looking one. Very nice. So, and then from here on out to the the end of the chapter is an extended action and fight scene. Uh, And I don't know how much I want to go blow-by-blow through the whole thing. Uh, We can just kind of pick out the the cool bits. But there's a lot of cool bits. This is is when we really get to see Allomancy kind of do its thing as a as a visually dramatic form of magic that you can fight with and it's very deeply cool it's really cool it's also very brutal yes yeah there's an extended portion where kel's only weapon is a paperweight Mm-hmm. And he yeah. proceeds to kill, I think, eight people with it. He uses he uses the paperweight way more than the daggers he came in with. <laughs> yeah, just wobbles it back and forth between different mm-hmm. different guards, haze killers. Yeah, so we do we have haze killers who are uh, normal men who are apparently trained at least in some way to to attempt to fight Mistborn. Uh, which they they do they do a bang up job of it. <laughs> they try their best. I mean, they they hurt him yeah. a little bit. Yeah, they get some good hits in. But there really is a a pretty significant force difference just from the fact that Kelsier has powerful ranged weaponry. I mean, he's he's shooting he, he's shooting bits of metal at them, and and they don't have that. I I really I really deeply enjoy this scene because it. We've talked a lot about how Brandon fully embraces the rule of cool, which is also in full effect. But in order to fight effectively with Alamancy, you have to be really smart about it and kind mm-hmm. of be like running the physics in your head and what tricks can you pull off. It's not just like, and I cast the big spell now, which is very cool. It's it's a constantly a, a constant physics problem in your head, and to see it applied with such deadly force is is really interesting to read into picture. Yeah, 
and there's some of it that is just um, like he mentions that he is using pewter to enhance himself physically to make him strong enough to to do this fight uh, but then iron and steel in particular uh, you have the these trajectories and and the the balance of forces that he's dealing with to go through this whole fight it's it's quite dramatic yeah and i love by by the end of it like pewter is being used you know punch harder kick harder you know stay on your feet then by the end of it it's talking about how he's burning pewter literally just to stay on his feet and he would collapse if he was not doing that Mm -hmm. um the kind of there's it's very like subtle communication of like there is a range of different ways that these different metals enhance your ability and sometimes it's literally just giving you the the energy you need to not fall over and die and like the tin as well even though it had the side effect of making everything hurt way worse it kept him conscious Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. using that to to give him that that burst of of clarity uh and of sensation to to keep him to keep him in the fight i also think it's really smart to put this right after we had a section that caused you sam to make a list of what is bullshit and what is true like, we've spent so much time these last few chapters, like, really trying to pick apart with Kelsey or what is mythology, what is real. He's making all these insane claims and everyone's holding him up as this this extremely powerful figure. And then we get a sense of just exactly what he can do as we see him just, like Justin said, you just walk into the most powerful house and just tear it apart, rob them, and then leave. You know, not unscathed, but completely on his feet. It's very cool to see uh, see him kind of put his money where his mouth is at. Yeah, he can definitely walk the walk after talking the talk. That said, he did come close here. Um, I, I think that, you know, given a few more haze killers um, or Alamancers coming more quickly and not being like, boom, boom, haze killers dead, Alamancers come... Um, he could have, you know, far be it for me to doubt Kelsier, but he could have had it here. Like, this was, it felt like he came close. And it, it does end with him just running. I mean, he, he got what he wanted, um, but he he knows that, that this is it, and he doesn't have much more in the tank, and he, he takes his spoils and he runs. It is also interesting to see uh, when he does get that safe open by dropping it off the side of the building um he rifles through it and and takes what he can uh he gets a a pouch of gemstones uh, a couple of ten thousand boxing letters of credit uh which is you know that's that's neat uh but then just a a little bag with just a couple of of pieces of metal that look like little beads Uh, and he says that's what i'm here for and grabs those and is then off with it we also get a very disturbing look into his psyche before the chapter closes out. With amusement, he noticed a twisted form lying on the cobblestones of a soldier who fell to his death and is just mangled on the floor. Um, and then that's immediately followed up with, ah, well, even if I didn't get the safe, at least I killed a bunch of people and that's what makes it worth it. Um, which, you know, the nobles suck and the empire sucks, but whew, that's that's quite a headspace to be in. Yeah, uh, he he thinks to himself, any night that ended with a group of dead noblemen was a successful one. So yeah, Kel definitely has uh, 
definitely has it out for them, and perhaps not in such a healthy way. I wonder if... Um... I mean, obviously he robbed from the houses of the, the nobles and everything, but you wonder if he had this attitude before he was, you know, betrayed and thrown into the pits. It's a good question. Right? Like, if he if he viewed it as moral to, to kill nobles, like, before they tried to kill him. Right. Or I was guess. he just, or was he just in it for the money before? Well, and I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting details in this chapter to look at, um in terms of learning more about him. Um, I have a whole paragraph here, so I'm just going to get into it. Um, he thinks about how people are scared of strange creatures in the mist, and then he thinks strange creatures like me. Um, so even though I don't think he's like a mist wraith that stole someone's face, I think that's that's bullshit. But he clearly thinks of himself as different from the rest of everyone else. And, um, you know, he... he sets himself apart from everyone else, which is really interesting. Um, and um, there's the really interesting bit of like, he kills one of the first guards and he's like, it's a noble. And then there's a bit where he's like, he made sure it wasn't a ska. And I'm like, oh yeah, cause he wouldn't want to hurt the ska. That would be messed up. And then you get the, oh, he would have been even happier if he had killed the ska. Cause those guys are traitors and they're even worse. And it's like, okay, dude. All right. All right. Chill. Um, uh and then um sorry i'm just gonna keep going uh we get in the first couple of chapters we see that kelsier appears to be drinking his respect women juice in that he saves jill's daughter and then he saves vin from getting beaten up and i i think it works for his character i'm not saying that this is a bad thing um but i feel like from this chapter it's becoming more clear that it's less respect women juice and more I'm sad about my wife, my dead wife, Juice. Um, it seems like a lot of his anger and rage, from what I can tell, is A, being put in hats in himself and, and suffering a lot, but also the fact that uh, his wife is dead. Um, also, Brandon Sanderson, I love you. Did you need to call the dead romance interest mayor? That, that, that one's a little weird. Um... And then my last note is that he specifically mentions snapping when his powers first came to, um, which judging by the fact that it's capitalized, I think is probably like going to be a term that is used throughout the series of people getting their powers. But the fact that we first see it with, see it, the fact that we first see it with Kelsier, the idea that he sees him getting his powers as snapping in some way, um, you know, it reminds me of when you talk about, oh, someone snapped and they went ape shit and started yelling at someone or start beating someone up. Um, I think the fact that that's the phrasing we're going with at this point of the book says a lot about how Hathson affected his mental state. That was a long rant. Um, so I'm going <laughs> to leave that to someone else to pick up on. <laughs> I'm, I'm picking up. It's happening. And yeah, earlier, I think in the previous chapter... It's a little quippy moment, but there's a line that's like, Clubs looks at him and says, Oh, so the pits did drive you completely insane, huh? And Kelsier with a straight face just goes, Yeah, completely. Yes. Which is like very funny in the moment. And then you see this scene, you're like, Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying he is completely insane. Like, we get a look at, at his headspace. Just a little, he's got a lot going on in there. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. All right, uh, and that wraps up 
our chapters, we leave them off with with Kelsier heading off uh, toward Clubs's shop to meet up with the the rest of the crew, having acquired the ATM that he set out for, and also racking up a couple of kills that he thinks are are also worth it. Uh, and then, and that's where we'll we'll end there uh, with our chapters for the next episode being the rest of part one chapters six seven and eight so overall uh we can talk about a couple things uh we can jump back to our discussion of seeing this book on screen we can talk about uh adaptation and and casting Uh, we've got we met a bunch of new people this episode uh, and we also have seen the the previous cast in a little more detail and so maybe we've got opinions on on those that have shifted but uh what do we think about this before we dive into that can i can i throw a firecracker into the room here you absolutely can yeah uh all right let's talk about alignments um okay what is kelsier's alignment we're talking the the traditional D D uh good to evil uh lawful to chaotic grid yes okay yes indeed um i would say uh let's get the obvious out of the way uh he's clearly not evil um you know he's not uh, harming people to to harm them um i I don't know if he has those kind of traits um i would say he's clearly not lawful because he's a thief um which is kind of goes against that um but i wouldn't i wouldn't say he's good I mean, the fact that he just, like, he seems motivated not by, like, a moral sense of what's right, but by the, the, like, this need to get revenge, to hurt the people who hurt him. And I don't know if that's necessarily, like, good, per se. Yeah, I did just go on, like, a three-minute rant about how uh, he's pretty unhinged. I would put him solidly at chaotic neutral, I think. Yeah, I think this is an un an ongoing unfurling discussion as this book continues it's just mm-hmm. what's your whole deal <laughs> in general and alignment i think is a really good way to think about it sam of just where along that good to evil spectrum is he i think chaotic is not as much in question <laughs> i think that's pretty clear but yeah. yeah is is he good is he neutral I think from a lot of people's perspectives, he would straight up be evil. Where where do we categorize him? I think will be we should keep checking in about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. said he's definitely not evil, and I I would agree. I do place him at neutral, but like his 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 motivations seem very selfish at this point, and he is clearly willing to do a lot of really messed up stuff to get what he wants, and it's it's it feels very much like he could potentially be the villain of a different story um but it just so happens that his motivations are aligned with the idea of let's overthrow the empire which is a good thing um so in this context he is doing a good thing doesn't necessarily make him a good person which i think we're all in agreement he's probably not good and on the alignment chart either but damn it he's just so charismatic oh i (laughs) love him i absolutely love him it's hard to hate 
He's a problematic um, fave. Yeah, <laughs> and I, th- <clears throat> I'll talk about this like in the in the interesting section, but despite his purported planning ability, the fact that he's been dwelling on this for so long, what he does in chapter five seems remarkably short-sighted. Um, the fact that he just like decides to hit this house um because he needs a- atium you know just out of nowhere mm-hmm. like it seems yeah like no a, it's it's like that decision. evening he asks Doxon, you know who should i go rob today and then 10 minutes later he's off doing it and Doxon expresses concern too because he he's like i you know i got you atium yeah well i need more but i need it you know it took a long time and a lot of planning well i i don't care about being quiet now it's interesting. I will add on to that. They have this big plan that they've been plotting for so long and Dachshund's put so much work into it and Kelsier's just like, nah, I don't care. Um, but the idea that they find a new Mistborn and the day that they're having the meeting about here's what the big plan is going to be is also the day Kelsier decides, yeah, we're going to bring her along too. She's probably fine. She seems okay. Get in. Um... That just seems like such a I like obviously we trust Vin because we've spent so much time with her already. Sure. But that's such a wild card to throw on the table the same day that you are starting to enact your big massive plan. In fairness to the first point, I I got nothing about bringing Vin along. He just he just likes her too, I guess. <laughs> um, he's like, you're a good protagonist. Come here. But in terms of the first point, it is a part of their their big plan to throw the nobility into chaos. Mm-hmm. And a, a loud robbery of that sort decidedly qualifies. And it's also interesting to think about this. I think, Sam, you said it earlier. or okay, Someone said it. I don't remember things. Someone said earlier that, pointed out that Kelsier did not have his elementic powers prior to the pits. Mm-hmm. So this established reputation that he has amongst the other thieves is this like legendary con man who probably pulls off these long elaborate plans plots and schemes that was before he was physically able to just decide to rob a house in a night so i will have have two uh bits to add here uh one is is remarking on uh i think caleb you said the the phrase that that kelsier might be a villain of a different story yeah, I bl- Brandon has said that as well uh, and pointed out, um, I think a couple of years ago, um, some of the other characters that he had written uh, and said if they were around at the time and place to encounter Kelsier, they absolutely would have seen him as a villain. So that's that's definitely not uh, a, a completely out there take. Uh, as for... Uh, the alignment question that that Sam brought up, which I think is a good one, uh, I'm going to somewhat dodge it uh, by using an alternative system of of categorizing uh, alignment and and motivation and all that, which is the Magic the Gathering color pie. Uh, and I'm going to justify this because Brandon is an enormous magic nerd, uh, and and so am I. But I'm going to say that that Kelsier would be black white or perhaps black white red um black is a is a color of uh of self-interest and and self-motivation uh it's often an evil color but not necessarily 
uh, white is is that of of justice and uh, and order, which Kelsier not so much about the order, um, but black white is is definitely uh, it's the the color of like religious crusades of of you know quests for something that is that is good in the mind of the person who is questing, but perhaps taken to a bit of an extreme. Uh, and then red is a is a color of of passion and of personal emotion and impulsiveness, which is is Kelsier. So that's my take. I hope he doesn't drown in filth. Oh dear. Ah, I, I'm gonna have my to, favorite card. I'm going to have to invite Scryfall Bot into another Discord now. <laughs> Yay! All right. So, yeah. No, I think that's a. I th- Sam, I think that was a great. Uh, question to to raise of can we categorize our our protagonists like this in some way uh, and I think that we should uh, definitely come back to it that's a good pulse check I think yeah so then in that case shall we move into uh, adaptations and castings sure sure um, before we actually get into casting I actually do have a note that is related to adaptation um, I thought it was really interesting to see the steel and iron having a color assigned to them. I believe they're different shades of blue. Yeah, you see these blue lines that point to bits of metal. Right. Um, and I feel like I had kind of already done this in my head of just kind of assigning a color to each type of um, of uh, allomancy. Um and I think that might be a clever way of kind of showing off um, the powers. Like, I don't know, I'm just thinking of like uh, when we see Vin using her luck, it's kind of hard to cinematically portray that. But if you put like, I don't know, a kind of subtle green tint over the background of the area or something just to like show that something is happening. Um, I don't know, I think the when you when you look at how the, the uh, pushing and pulling is depicted... I think you could, from a cinematic standpoint, very easily extrapolate that to put on other kind of visual designs to represent um, the different powers being used. Yeah, I think that definitely... I I will leave it up to experts in film and and that sort of thing, but I definitely think that there could be some some cool ideas that you could do there. Shall we move on to casting? Sure. Um, Either of you want to... I, I don't have any, but if, if any anyone else has, we want to go down the list. Yeah. Uh, can we start with recastings? Sure thing. Yeah. All right. Um, I am going to recast Kelsier. Okay. Previously, I'd said Matt Smith. Um, I'm still not, I'm still a little tenuous on it, but I don't think Matt Smith is quite right. Um, so right now, my, my tenuous placeholder actor is Chris Hemsworth. Um, the reason why I'm not 100% on Chris Hemsworth is Kelsier has this kind of innate cleverness. If I could take, like, Matt Smith's brain and put it in Chris Hemsworth, then that'd be Kelsier. He's <laughs> um, the perfect man. <laughs> forgive me for being a jerk, but I don't... Chris Hemsworth does not strike me as terribly smart. 
just okay i don't know if we need to say his actual intelligence i will give you he usually plays characters that do not have particularly high intelligence that is yeah soldiers or thor basically (laughs) at this point but he's my placeholder so all right okay um, I I still like Daniel Radcliffe as Kelsier, and I'm not completely uh, uh, overthrowing this. But in this chapter, I don't know if this was actually described, and I just missed it. But in in chapter four, we get a description that um, uh, Kelsier is in his mid thirties and actually has dirty blonde hair, which Daniel Radcliffe noticeably doesn't. Um, so trying to cast a little bit older and also matching the hair color. Um, I did think of uh, uh, Ryan Gosling as a just charismatic guy who you just kind of automatically want to cheer for when he's on screen, but I could also see him getting unhinged when he needs to. Um, that that's, a, that's another name I would throw in the ring. See, for example, Driver. Mm-hmm. Pretty. I like that casting, Ryan Gosling. That's cool. I also don't feel 100% about this choice, but Chris Pine has been sticking in my brain uh, to, okay. to pick a different Chris. Mm-hmm. One of the, the I, Legion I, of Chrises. <laughs> yes, uh, a deep well to pull from. I, mostly because of his, his turn as Captain Kirk and just sort of that like brash, charismatic action hero who also happens to be blonde. <laughs> I, I, it, it's, I'm pondering it. People can dye their hair. They can also do that. (laughs) I just just can't picture blonde Daniel Radcliffe in my head. I know it could be done, but I currently cannot picture it. Oh, you're right. That does strike me as a little bit weird. But, yeah. Uh, Sam, do you have any other recasts? Because I have one more. Yeah. uh, Cayman, well, I already mentioned, uh, not Ed Sheeran. Uh, instead, I'm going to go with Wallace Shawn, speaking of Princess Bride. Um, and it was the beating that changed my mind. So, yeah. Yeah, if I, I still I still picture Danny DeVito in my head. Um, but if, if by the end of the book we are going to try and coalesce one singular cast, um, I would definitely be willing to, to, to um, defer to Wallace Shawn. That's a pretty good pick, I think. Yeah, I got one more recast. If we're if we want to reimagine Dachshund as uh, potentially uh, being a woman in the film adaptation, um, I would throw Gina Torres, who plays Zoe from Firefly, in the ring for Dachshund. Fucking yes, good Paul. All right, I, I I can see the she has the the calm competence. Yeah, um, I uh, also thought about the the gender swap Dachshund. Mm-hmm. Um, and my thought was, uh, you know, American Horror Story queen herself, Kathy Bates, um, because oh yeah, you mentioned that on the in our chat, yeah, yeah, Kathy. Well, I had to I had to placehold it. I I spoiled it a little bit, but I did. Um, Kathy Bates, like she just she has this kind of the same sort of thing, like this calm um, but competent air to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also picture her in the role because. Uh, she doesn't have the physique of Dan Vogelbach, but she is like you know on the kind of stockier, shorter mm-hmm. side, which which Dachshund is described as. So, so I can go Kathy Bates on that. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Bates usually has like, um, I guess nice person roles. From my understanding, she's you know American Horror Story, and uh, I believe she was the uh, 
uh, lead in Misery. Um, usually pretty, like, scary villainous roles, um, but I could absolutely see her uh, taking on a more heroic and reserved role as well. I think I think that would work as well. She's been the good guy in American Horror Story a couple times. Okay, I, I don't I watch the show. Um, so, well, I mean, take you know, for just... Uh, she's also been the bad person more often than not, so I I do understand though. Fair. So, all right. Um, I will. I, I know I, I mentioned earlier that um, Brandon had one other character that he was he was going to to flip in the adaptation, and that I disagreed with it. Um, I can I can bring that up now, and we can talk about it it next week for a recast because I I would imagine that you don't want to try to come up with someone on the spot um brandon's opinion on his he said the other person that he was probably going to to flip gender on uh was hammond um his point reason ham are a gay couple you can't take that away from me (laughs) (laughs) um his point was that um and we'll we'll see a, a little bit of this discussion later uh in that pewter uh the the physical ability that it grants you makes um physical body type much less important for someone who is going to be doing a, a like a an action kind of brawling role uh and so you don't necessarily have to go with someone who is you know a, a, a big kind of burly man the reason that i disagree with this is that i think one of the fun parts of hammond's character is that he looks like you know, he he walks in with no sleeves and big muscles, and he says, "I'm a thug and I hit things." Uh, and then he he has the the philosophical side to him that we've seen a little bit of, and we'll we'll definitely see more of. Uh, and I think that that's a fun contrast that I would want to to keep. Uh, and the choice that I would make instead would be clubs. Uh, I think that having a having a role for uh, an older uh, an older actress that isn't like the grandmother. Um, I think that clubs as a character, I think could be, could be interesting as uh played by a woman. I have one to toss out for ham for gender bent. Okay. G- gender swapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nia Jax. Okay. I Nia mean, Jax. she definitely qualifies as physically imposing enough. I was going to say, Brandon, there are big, burly women. Yeah, and and like I think that, uh, and, and that's also one of the reasons why I also disagree with this, is that um, it's not too much of a spoiler to say that we're going to see Vin fight with the aid of Pewter, uh, and she's a small 16-year-old girl. So that basis is also kind of already covered. I have two thoughts on... Um ham as played by a woman one i feel like half of my casting is just like old ideas that i have since discarded because when you initially said that my brain went ah gina carano um but we don't like her anymore so she doesn't get to (laughs) um and also i understand the points being made against ham played by a woman but i i i want Ham doesn't wear sleeves and has big muscles, and I want to look at a woman's arms with big muscles. So there, I suppose that is an option then. All right, uh, I think that then takes us to the new cast then, as we've kind of already started on it. Yes, indeed. 
Sam, you want to go ahead? I'll I'll start. Um, and I, I I'm putting my uh, putting in my secret hidden bet for what. Uh, here, let me even just privately message it. Um, uh, all right. Uh, okay. So. Okay. Um, Noted. My my casting for Ham. Uh, it's got to be someone tough, so a wrestler. But it's also got to be someone with a little bit of intelligence, well-spoken. You can see them as nice. Um, therefore, I'm going with Limitless Keith Lee. Uh, if you remove the context or the acting ability, I'd say Diesel. Um, but Keith Lee, in terms of a whole person, he's the guy I picture. All right. So there you go. Do we want to go back and forth or Sam go down the list and then Caleb go for yours um maybe back and forth okay okay um all right well then before we get there i'm gonna go back and uh, my lev who i'm sure is a is an absolutely vital character for the rest of the franchise um i do have casting for him as well um and i also made sure not to hit any buttons that were too too big we're not wasting any buttons um but uh someone who i think could do that role pretty well would be uh, Diobia Operai, who some of you may know as Boastful Loki from one episode of the Loki show. Um, ha! That's a good pick. Just, you know, big, strong, but also there's some charm in there. Um, yeah. Fun one. Um, for Ham, <laughs> I did, I, I, have, I have not thought of a, a, uh, uh, actress for Ham necessarily, uh, but what I went with is, uh, you know, who is, who is big and strong in content that I've been watching recently um, that uh, can surprise you with the fact that he does have a brain on him from time to time. Oh, I know um, where you're going with so, this and I like it. You know, we we talked about possibly having to do voice casting rather than uh, live action uh -huh. acting, but this someone is someone who has a little bit of both. Um, why don't we bring uh -huh. Travis Willingham in as Ham? That would be fucking perfect. Wait. Who's that? Uh, he is mostly a voice actor, um, but uh, he is he is fairly famous for being one of the main cast members on Critical Role. Um, he also uh -huh. voiced... Who can I think of off the top of my head? He was Harvey Dent in the Telltale Batman game. Um, He's been he Thor voiced... in a bunch Thor. of different stuff, particularly yeah. in the latest Avengers game. Um, yeah, he usually does big, tough characters, um, including in Critical Role. <laughs> And uh, Caleb is currently watching and catching up on Critical Role and has just made the switch from Campaign 1, where Travis plays, like, a very dumb bruiser, to Campaign 2, where he plays a lot more intelligent and... I was about to say interesting, that feels a little bit rude, but I'm gonna stick with it. Of a no, character. I think that's that's so. valid. Grog works for who he is, but Ford has a lot yeah. more going on. Yeah, so we we have recently seen that Travis has the range. Uh, you did not activate my trap card. I'm disappointed. <laughs> but, and very surprised also. I, I really thought you were going to press the John Cena button for him. I, I've already established, I think, we should save most of our wrestlers for Steel Inquisitors. <laughs> oh my goodness. Alright, well. It'd be amazing if there's, like, literally one Inquisitor for the entire book, and we're, I'm trying to get you all to stop <laughs> using wrestlers for nothing. 
other people are going to say John Cena for that role. And to those other people, no. Just just no? So there. I don't know. Anyway. Wow. Just, uh, John takes. Cena never comes off as genuine to me. He when he acts, he's acting. He's not he's not playing a character. He's being an actor in an acty movie. Yeah. Do you know there, what there I mean? There is a difference. Like, for sure. Yeah. So there. Anyway. Anyways, uh who do you have next, Sam? Uh I believe next up is Breeze. Um who and definitely for... would say his name like that. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, for Breeze, I am picturing Andy Serkis. Um, okay. Most recently, Alfred in the new Batman. Um, I kind of pictured that character as Breeze. So. All right. I could see it. I also just like. I, I like Andy Serkis for his motion capture roles. And so having him on screen would be cool. Uh, I went in a different direction. Um, you know, this charming, charismatic guy, well-dressed, comes on screen and just, like, tries to charm her pants off. Um, I went with Billy Porter as Breeze. Oh, yes. Okay. Also, just picturing Billy Porter and Travis Willingham being best friends slash a couple <laughs> is a very funny image to me. Oh, I can see that. He's He's tall, isn't he? Breeze or Billy Porter? Billy Porter. I don't know if he's that tall. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't seem that tall in pose. I feel like he he reads as tall to me, and I I don't see Breeze as tall. But it's a a small. According detail. to a random website, he is five foot nine. But that's the benefit of putting him next to Travis Willingham is that everyone looks <laughs> tiny next to him. <laughs> and five foot nine, I think, is exactly average. So I googled B- Billy Porter height, and I came up with uh, he appears tall with a tone and slim body, and his body measurements are 40, 30, 32, with his biceps measuring 13.5 inches. This is billed before saying his actual height. That comes in the next <laughs> sentence. Uh, what? I feel like we're varying the lead here. But what are Travis Willingham's bicep measurements is what we need to know. <laughs> There's the real question. Yes. <laughs> The measurement is yes, a lot of bicep. Much bicep. Maybe right. they gave his measurements so that people can like make him clothes and like fans just send him, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's definitely a thing for. Um, I- I've known a decent amount of of people who work in theatrical work of various sorts, um, and like that's the thing that you just have is your full list of of costume measurements so that when you need them you can just send them it's still weird for that to be like public information though i feel like yeah that's a little strange so we we've got ham and breeze um we saw clubs briefly before he left and then came back ah clubs uh i'm gonna argue that there is one and only one person that you cast as clubs i'm going to argue almost maybe not fully that brandon sanderson himself pictured this person as clubs i think clubs is danny trejo okay hmm because the face the attitude the everything okay is just danny trejo like to a t the rush 
of dopamine that just filled me at the mere name Danny Trejo. <laughs> Let me contain myself. Machete himself. I'm going to send you a video of Danny Trejo playing Magic the Gathering. Oh, well, th even more perfect. It's all connected. He's not actually playing it. He just appears in a commercial, which is just weird. But that is neither here nor there. Uh, Caleb, who was was your pick? Yeah, I, I did not quite go with Danny Trejo, but um, I think fairly similar vibes if, you know, I don't know, maybe not. Um, I went with Jackie Earl Haley as Clubs, uh, who played Rorschach in the Watchmen movie, and he played uh, Freddy Krueger in one of the more recent, uh, uh, Friday, not Friday the 13th, um, Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Um He's one of the actors I know who I would describe as having a very gnarled face, which is the one word uh, Brandon keeps using to describe clubs, is that his face is very gnarled. So um, that was my pick. That's probably it for our uh, extended casting, unless anyone else has. Uh, we got uh, Yeden oh. as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, true. All right. Well, me, I'll start with Yeden. Okay. Ha. Take it. Uh, I got Tom Waits as Yeaton. Same kind of hard-written appearance. Same kind of voice I'd picture. I think you could... No, I'm now thinking of Tom Waits' as clubs, actually. <laughs> oh, maybe. I could see that, too. All right. Yeah, that's, that's that's a solid pick. I could I could see that. Um, I feel like I need to go older for the leader of the rebellion uh, that has been fonder... Like, uh, the leader of the rebellion that has been growing for generations... Um, but I just couldn't think of any actors that the like description we get is brown, short, curly hair, um, which was not a ton to work with. And so the image just just came to mind as I'm pushing the eyebrows button and I had Will Poulter as Eden. Um, oh. I think he has the uh, the kind of, you know, obviously he's not an older actor, but the ornery kind of oh, i can't believe i have to deal with you people like i could see him pulling that attitude off pretty well okay that is an option and i know we we mentioned that he might be making an appearance last time but then did not so now he's on the list he's on both lists for different roles mm -hmm. okay uh and and we talked about uh the the potential options for visually depicting alamancy which is definitely I think an interesting problem to crack. Uh, any other thoughts on just kind of adaptation in general from what we've seen? I do think that the use of allomancy is a real tricky stitch for you. I, I feel like if you're doing live action, you'd need to be stylized with it. Cause when you burn pewter uh, or whatever, they haven't really said what luck is. Um, I believe it's been hinted at one point luck is uh, zinc, but I don't know if it's been 100% confirmed. But what's the flip side? Or is it? Is there we don't know side? it yet. I actually, I have my list. I don't know if I should save this for the theory section, but I have my list of like trying to keep track of everything. Uh, well, I have it too. There's a chart. Oh yeah, yeah. There, this is a good book for charts. Yeah. Um, iron, steel, tin, pewter, copper, bronze, zinc, brass, and then we got atium and whatever the second rare metal is but um i think we've seen iron steel tin pewter copper is what uh clubs mentioned and yeah I we haven't that's... seen it used but we know it's smoker whatever that entails yeah um 
and zinc was emotions. I don't have we seen bronze or brass? I, I don't think we've been told we've seen bronze or brass. In, in flaming has been mentioned. That's we saw. We actually did see Vin use it, um, but I don't think it was if it was uh, clarified which it was. Looking at the gates of the Luthadel map, um, bronze and brass are the two ones we have remaining. Um, so one of those ties to inflaming, and then the last one is a mystery at this point. Right. But yeah, you'd have to be stylized. You, I mean, I don't think you could go full realism. Uh, if you want to represent it on the screen, you got to make it clear. But if you're trying to play it fully straight-faced, it's going to look weird no matter what you do. Um, you know, burning luck and having like a green whatever at, in the eyes or whatever you display um it's you know I, I don't know i think it'll be hard to pull off i don't um, know i think of it kind of like whenever you hear um i don't know if they use it for jedi mind tricks actually i'm probably thinking of like the force choke sound effect but like there's sometimes where they put a little sound effect when they use the force in star wars that kind of like indicates that there's power being used and yeah, I always kind of interpreted that as the characters might not be able to hear that noise, but that will, that keys us in that Darth Vader isn't just like, it, it, it looks less silly when you put a sound effect on it, I think. So I think you could put in like subtle uh, cues um, audio wise that might also be able to help with it. Or like Spider-Man's spider sense going on yeah, yeah, in I certain like that adaptations. Well. Yeah. It's definitely an, an interesting puzzle to crack. And I wonder if that's because um, there have been a couple of attempts at a a Mistborn adaptation. Uh, I know a couple of years back there was uh, at least a complete screenplay that was being shopped around uh, that never ended up going anywhere. So I'm I'm wondering what the uh, what they wanted to go for and why it didn't pan out that time around. All right. Uh, well, I think to wrap things up, then we should uh, we should take a look forward. Uh, we've got uh, a little more meat on the bones, I think, for uh, trying to predict forward and and see what we can come up with. Uh, and I I know both Sam and Caleb have mentioned that they have uh, come up with a thing or two. So I'm I'm curious what uh, what we see going forward. Caleb, do you want to go second? Because I feel like you would have the better predictions I, I wouldn't call Titan it better Man. i might have more i wouldn't call yeah. them necessarily better well uh, but yeah I, you yeah take it away okay um so as for the interesting segment the interesting mm -hmm. um uh number one maybe obvious maybe not maybe it'll happen maybe it won't um i think kelsier kicked a hornet's nest by hitting house venture and i think he's gonna regret it um, I'm predicting that there will be higher alert among the houses in the city. Um, I feel like with how, with the fact that the obligators are aware of House Venture and Trusting was so interested in starting business with them, it might even attract the attention of the Lord Ruler. Um, I'm expecting higher security in the garrison, um, and I'm also expecting that people are going to know that a Mistborn thief is out there now. Like the secret's out. You you can't rely on the element of surprise anymore. Okay. Um, so there's number one. Uh, I don't know if you want, if anyone has comments. 
Um, I would agree this probably is going to increase security in a couple places in terms of like venture specifically affecting the plot. My guess is we're barely going to hear the word venture again. Um, but I think that's probably that that's probably a pretty good guess that um, this is this is definitely going to have a an effect that goes beyond just hey I got some adium. Beyond that, I'm starting to like the Lord Ruler already dead theory. Um, I I have my my bachelor's degrees in history, um, and empires I can s say for you, uh, if, if you're not already aware. Uh, empires that have an established infrastructure or doctrine can keep going even after the death of the leader. Um, you can take, and for instance, those are definitely things that we've seen. We 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 see the the religious aspects of the final empire, uh, and the city is is fairly substantial, so definitely qualifies. Um, my alternative to that is that. And this ties into a, a third thing. Um, the alternative is Lord Ruler's just some dude. Um, I'm going to say he's more than likely not God. Um, and I'm also going to say, I teased this earlier, the fact that people have not even heard of the 11th Metal um, possibility among the crew. Um, I'm going to say that Kelsier doesn't really believe in the 11th Metal, and they just wants to inspire the crew to think the plan would work. Okay. Um, and I think he might know that the Lord Ruler is just a dude that you can kill. So you think that the the eleventh metal, the the piece of of physical metal that Kel had there, is is a bit of showmanship that he's going to be leveraging, uh, and that his plan for for bringing down the Lord Ruler is uh, a little bit less mystical. I think it'll be a glass dagger to the sternum. <laughs> It's it's a pretty effective way for for regular people, so it's it's a thing really he could powerful, try, especially against living things. Against living things, <laughs> especially against living things. Um. All right. I also had two more things. Um, okay. Which which I will categorize in uh, as probably won't happen, but would be interesting. Um, if you abbreviate that, it's booby. Perfect. Or you can just call it WBI. Would be interesting. A little bit um, more catchy. I like the I like the second one. So my <laughs> um, if number one, uh, it'd probably be interesting or won't happen, but would be interesting if Yedin died or was caught before the operation was set in motion. Um, I think the Inquisitors surely already know of his existence. They're probably hunting after him, and without him. Uh, you've got nobody to command the army, and with nobody to command the army, you can't take the capital. So I think it'd be interesting if he died or uh, was caught, but I don't think it'll necessarily happen. Okay, that would. There's some interesting elements there because from what we've seen of the the very brief beginning discussions of the plan, there are kind of different layers of moving pieces, like we talked about earlier. There's, you know. Uh, help overthrow the city. There's steal the the, the ADM. There's kill the Lord Ruler, and Yeden is is potentially not so involved in in all of those, and and very involved in others. So if he if he did get killed or something went wrong there, you could see 
fallout in in certain places of the plan and not in others so there would be a an interesting kind of breakdown there if that happened all right and i think you said you had one more one more yes indeed um probably won't happen but it would be interesting if there is a kelsier heel turn um I, we talked about this briefly in the alignment question um but he seems to be into this for his own revenge purposes um and once he gets that revenge uh maybe he'll become the bad guy was it in critical role or was it another long-running D campaign where the guy like betrayed everyone at the very last moment but uh whichever it is um i can vaguely picture him like killing the lord ruler and then becoming the lord ruler Ooh. okay that would be that would be something especially if if the lord ruler is a a more mundane leader or certainly someone who isn't as divine as they say then then he could be replaced justin you're very good at offering commentary other than interesting on these theories i'm just sitting here like i don't want to say anything or my dumb mouth will spoil something but you're like applying logic and analyzing and i just wanted to give you a shout out for that i'm trying so those are my predictions all right, we will see how those play out. I feel like we out. need a musical sting for Attack on Titan Brain, because I know it's incoming. <laughs> oh, it's coming. But uh, yeah, Attack on Titan Brain incoming. <laughs> um, okay, so we get a little bit more on Reen in these chapters. And we, I've, Vin says, oh, Reen betrayed me and left me behind. But we don't get a lot of details as to what actually happened. And from what it sounds like, it seems like one day Reen just kind of disappeared. And Vin interpreted that as Vin betrayed me and left me behind. But that's not necessarily what that means. And so maybe it's just me hoping for a more good older brother characters. But part of me is wondering if he got kidnapped or he got taken away or he had to leave because there was no other choice. And just because he left without no without any explanation it came across as he betrayed her and left her behind. Um, I'm, I'm curious if there's a little bit more going on with Reen than what Vin is kind of assuming. And she definitely doesn't have a lot to go on. This was... Um, I don't actually know if we know how long it's been since he left, um, but I believe most of the time that they spent together, she was fairly young, so it's, it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, let me scan through it. Uh, to jump off of uh, some of Sam's points, um, I don't know if it would specifically be Eden dying, um, but good heist movies and good uh, uh, heist stories um, always have a couple of good, consistent tropes that I just love it when they happen. And one is Wrench gets thrown in the operation right before the job actually starts, and now they have to improvise something. So one of the uh, people dying or getting caught would certainly uh, classify for that. So I think that would be exciting. And then um, the twists upon twists of, oh, I'm betraying you, but then I'm going to betray the other people. So I'm back on your side again. Um, is also a very fun thing that happen, tends to happen in heist movies. Um, so I don't know if it's going to be Kelsey or certainly could be. Um, but uh, the idea of kind of cutting and running and not really caring about the rest of your operation, as long as you're part of the operation works for you, um, I think is an interesting idea that I think could certainly be played with. I could see that happening. 
Um, it's interesting, Sam, that you seem more on board with the dead Lord Ruler theory this time, because I actually am kind of putting that on the back burner. I actually am a lot less confident in that now. Um, I don't think Kelsier necessarily met the Lord Ruler in person, but he seems very confident that the Lord Ruler was directly behind him getting captured. Um, which, you know, my theory was kind of the Lord Ruler has been dead for a long time. Um, so that timeline certainly wouldn't work out. Um, so I'm not throwing the theory out. I still want to have it on the table, but I'm putting, I'm putting less of my chips in that theory. Um, I have a separate Lord Ruler theory to go along with it, though, which is my new big, big guess is that not only is the person writing all these, um, uh, not epitaphs, what is, what is the thing, what do we call Epigraphs. Them? Epigraphs. Um, my theory, not only do I think the person writing these epigraphs is the big hero described on the back of the book, um, I think that might also be the Lord Ruler. Um, who not only failed whatever prophecy was given to him, but the way that he failed was either getting power hungry or just making a decision that did not work out well in terms of what was supposed to happen. Um, and instead, uh, he turned into um, the leader of the empire that we see now. Oh. I was teasing at that, not verbally, but you know, in my brain, teases in as you would do with a knot. Um, I was teasing at that idea uh, as I was reading that maybe maybe it was a heel turn. You know, maybe the heel turn was the hero of the land and not the, th the thief guy, <laughs> which is Kelsier, the thief guy. And that's definitely a thing that we can we can keep an eye on as we get each epigraph in each chapter. We can check back in on who do we think this is and and what happened to them to get to the present day. Yeah. As soon as you see the line, it doesn't matter, I'm the one with the armies, you get the feeling, oh, this guy's not like the Paragon hero that everyone is probably hoping for in terms of this prophecy thing happening. Uh, I was just going to say um, some commentary on uh, your kind of general prediction that the, the heist plan will not go well. Um, one thing that I really appreciate that, that Brandon does is that he, um, uh, I believe he still does it once a year. Uh, he teaches a creative writing course at BYU, which is where he went to school, um, that is writing science fiction and fantasy. Uh, and it's very, um, it's, I guess it's more career focused. It's like how to actually be a professional sci-fi fantasy author. Um, and he records the whole thing and he puts it on YouTube for free, which is really cool. But at one point he talked about uh, heist plots. Um, and as he described it, he said there are two main types, which I think this book is a bit of a mix of both. Uh, but he said the two main types are uh, either you don't get told the plan. You just get told the people involved and the skills they have and the, the general outline of it. Um, and then the payoff is seeing the plan take place. Uh, which he said is the the Ocean's Eleven plot. And then the other type is you see the plan and then the plan goes wrong and the payoff is seeing all of the pre-work that they did pay off in different ways in different places, uh, which he said is the 
uh, the Italian job plot. So I would say this is probably a mix of the two of those, uh, but he definitely shares your opinion that heist stories are meant for things to go wrong. And then wrapping things up, uh, I 100% agree with Sam's theory that um, I think the 11th super metal is, is bullshit. I, I think I, I'm on the exact same page of I think Kelsey is just putting that out there so that everyone else is like, oh, wow, yeah, maybe we maybe this is possible. Maybe we can overthrow everything. Um, he just kind of pulls out this weird kind of ceramic chunk of something and is like, yeah, this thing you've never heard of, that yeah, this is going to save the day. Um, just feels a little bit too convenient. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I, I fully am on board with that theory. I was thinking uh, the same thing. And then, but in terms of the other metals, we have our eight. We don't know, uh, there's a couple last ones where we don't know exactly what they do, but we are we've introduced to our eight. And then there's two high metals um, where we mentioned this earlier. I don't know if it got 100% confirmed, but I'm, I'm very much assuming Adium is one of them and it just makes you very kick ass and helps you burn down entire buildings and kill everyone inside. Um, and that's what he Kel meant by saying, I used the last of it at the Tresting Estate. Um, because we see him be a badass at, uh, the, at uh, the Venture Keep, but not as much of a badass as, oh, everyone woke up in the morning and the place was just completely burned down. Right. So I'm, I'm assuming that Adium helps roid you up a little bit in terms of using allomantic uh, elements. Okay. Um, and then in terms of the other, the 10th high metal, the second high metal, the 10th metal, um, this is a little, this is I'm swinging for the fences a little bit um, because I looked it up and it's not technically a metal. <laughs> but that obsidian chip that Vin got, I am positive is going to end up being important in some way. And it would make sense in terms of being introduced to all these different pieces of the story, if perhaps Obsidian is the 10th metal. Um, I don't know what it would do. Adium clearly just kind of boosts you so that you can do a lot of uh, badass stuff. I don't know what Obsidian would do necessarily. Um, but um, the fact that Reen had an Obsidian good luck charm and appears to have left it for Vin... Um, tells me that that is going to end up coming into play later on. And I think a way that it could come into play is the fact that Vin secretly, without even knowing it, has a piece of a metal that will end up being very important. Um, so that is that is my last big prediction. All right. We will check in on those and see how they, how they progress as we keep going. Interesting. <laughs> Say the line, Bart. <laughs> I finally get to be the one saying it. I'm going to ride this high as long as it takes me. All right. All right. Uh, in that case, I think that once again brings us to the end of our episode. Unless, uh, Beth, Sam, Caleb, any of you have anything you want to throw in right at the end? Now I threw out all my firecrackers. This is probably the slowest I've ever read a Sanderson book. <laughs> so there's a certain amount of relief that comes with the end of an episode. Because exactly. I know I can keep reading now. 
Yeah, I'm in the same boat of like, I I read it all immediately, and then I'm just waiting for five days to talk about it. Um, and then yeah, at the end of the episode, I'm like, oh cool, I can keep reading now. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, the next the next group of chapters. We're going to see some some things that I like to to hit on, and so that'll be pretty cool. Uh, again, those are chapters six, seven, and eight, uh, and that will finish up part one, the survivor of Hathsin. So that will, I don't so think your will die at the end of this section, presumably since that's yeah, the all gone. His, his, his name is no longer on it. Just gonna, gonna be completely out there. You don't, it's, you know how, uh, I don't remember which sport it is, but there's a sport where if you end up on the cover of that game for the year, you just have a shit season. Madden. It's the Madden same video in Mistborn. Yeah. Madden, thank you. If you end up on the cover of Madden, you have a shit season the next year. It's the same in Mistborn, but if your dramatic title is put on the book, you die. All right, I'm going to put that in uh, Beth's predictions. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see how that Everyone's goes. favorite section. Yes. <laughs> Part two. Obligator Areve. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that will do it for here uh, on There's Always Another Podcast. Uh, we will be getting these up to you from the past or from the future, depending on which perspective you're looking at it. Uh, if you want to... Well, what? Well, it depends on if we're looking at when the listeners are hearing it or if they're thinking about when we're recording it. It's one mm, of the two. You're right. It's all about perspective. I have good news, listener. If you're listening to this now, we got it to you. Successfully, yes. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, let us know what you think of uh, how of what we've been going over. Uh, if you've think that our casting choices are completely ludicrous and are all wrong and we need to throw them all out, uh, let us know. Uh, if you think that the predictions are so spot on that obviously Sam and Caleb have read these books before and are just making this all up, you can let us know that too. Uh, and you can do that at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com and we'll take a look at that. Yell at us about John Cena. I'll, I'll read it. Okay. I will personally yeah. deliver those to sam cena is not ham but i still love you listener no one no one said he was ham sam well hypothetical straw man did i didn't fall for your trap (laughs) you didn't fall for my trap and i'm so sad about it i'm sorry i I wrote it i bolded it and highlighted it in my word document the sheer charisma of travis willingham just overtook me i'm sorry there it is in fact in bold and highlight <laughs> the prediction I was called made. my shot and i failed <laughs> first theory of the thing completely disproven we, we've got one to check off the list all right so so we have sam's predictions for the book caleb's predictions for the book somehow beth's predictions for the book <laughs> and then sam's predictions for caleb's predictions yeah, I'm going to start having to bite him back. I'm going to start having to think about what you're going to say, Sam. No. We've already been recording for two and a half hours. We can't include more segments. <laughs> no, I, th- I think that will wrap it up. We will uh, we'll close this episode out and see you all in the next one. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Caleb's going to say, see ya. <laughs>